Hey friends, let me ask you a question. In digital and social media, how much control do you and your company have versus the consumer, the buyer? Well, things have changed over the last few decades since something called the internet came around. And we actually have a lot less control than you might think. Well, with so little control, how do we influence buyers and visitors to become customers? You're going to find out all about how to do that on this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach Podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your Your digital digital marketing marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital-first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. This is Neil Schaefer, your digital marketing coach, and there is no place I would rather be than together with you for the next 30 minutes on this podcast. Today is an interview day, and we talk about this concept of losing control, but how to influence without using the same tactics that just aren't as effective as they used to be. If you are in B2B, you've probably heard about this for some time. For B2C, maybe not so much, but I think it is really universal. And today's guest, Tom Burton, is an author of the book, The Revenue Zone, the ultimate playbook for the next generation of B2B sales, marketing, and predictable revenue growth. Next generation is a really important word because how... Each generation communicates how they perform product research, how they purchase. It all differs from generation to generation. And sometimes you really need to do a reset on what your organization is doing to get caught up with the time. So that's going to be one of the reminders from today's interview. We're also going to talk about how to build your own yellow brick road, as well as how to get your customers into the revenue zone and what do you do once they are there. I think you're going to find it both a fascinating and an extremely actionable and informative interview. So without further ado, this is my interview with Tom Burton. You're listening to your digital marketing coach. This is Neil Schaefer. Tom, welcome to the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Thank you. Awesome to be here, Neil. Hey, uh, it's really great to have you. I always love to have other marketing and and sales authors uh, on the podcast. So I'm really excited to dig into your book, your new book, The Revenue Zone, the ultimate playbook for the next generation of B2B sales, marketing and predictable revenue growth. I know we're going to we're going to cover that in a bit, but before we get to the book, uh can you tell me a little bit about um, you know, who you are, what what your company currently does and we'll start from there. Yeah. So my, my background, you know, I'm a tech guy from training or, or college. I was a computer science guy and engineer in college, but when I left college, I got involved in startups and really got you know, enamored with the whole business side, the marketing side, the sales side. So I've spent the majority of my career in tech sales, tech marketing, building tech companies, 
I actually had a digital marketing agency for a while because I, I sold a company to Intuit a few years ago and they were really into digital marketing. I just got enamored with it. You know, I, it was I, marketing that actually could be measured and tracked and all of that kind of stuff. So, so long background in that area, my current company, I got the bug a couple, a couple of years ago to get back into tech and the software and uh, co-founded a company called Lead Smart Technologies, um, which is, I look at it as kind of a next generation CRM product. So it's a CRM product that really is designed to help companies use data to make good decisions and build good sales strategies rather than just tracking activity and, you know, log basically a contact database. So um, that's where that came from. And the book that you just mentioned came out of you know, like I said, I've been in sales and marketing my whole career, but came out of kind of a defining moment I had a couple of years ago in a board meeting where I was getting asked about our pipeline and our confidence. And I realized that, you know, I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have the, I, I really wasn't, I didn't believe in my pipeline and my sales process the way I have had in the past. And I didn't know why. And so it was like a punch in the stomach in the middle of a board meeting that I was like, uh, I don't feel all that good about answering these questions. And so the book came out of that and I kind of immersed into what the hell just happened. And, and the book is kind of a, an outcome of all of that. Very cool. We'll, we'll have to, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but that sounds like quite the epiphany uh, moment there. <laughs> no, it's, it's in the book. I, I cover it in the book, right? It's, it's uh, you know, that's what you need every once in a while is a bit of a wake up call. So. Yeah, it's funny. I, I have a very similar background. My background is also B2B tech sales. But I would always get my hands into the marketing side. And I was very, very interested in that side. And yeah, the pipeline is a very, very interesting phenomenon because it's based on the word of, of salespeople following a process. But there's no guarantee whatsoever. It's really a culmination of what people think will happen based on a certain path of the process. But then a war breaks out or there's an earthquake or anything can happen, right? So uh, it, it's definitely a very, very interesting phenomenon that most businesses, you know, run their board meetings on based on these predictions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, but, you know, pipeline or confidence in pipeline in my past has always been, well, how, how much in control am I of the sales process and of, the, and of my prospects? And what, I, what hit me there is that I honestly, at that point, really didn't feel like I had control and I was kind of hoping more that I was in control. And then when I realized that, hey, that's not the world we live in anymore, right? The buyer wants to be in control. Right. So how do I actually facilitate that rather than trying to be in control myself, which, you know, maybe 10 years ago that worked, it doesn't work in the world that we're in now. So it was really a shift in, in mindset all the way around. Very cool. You know, we talk in general marketing of this shift of, you know, you're no longer in control of your brand. Uh, you know, social media users are. Uh, people tuning out ads, people, you know, making decisions just based on their own research that often involves social media. So I think that message of, hey, you know, sellers are no longer in control. It's just part of this whole digital transformation that we're going through, right? Absolutely. And, and we can be in control, but we have to be in control in a much different way than we have done in the past and how we control things, right? And we have to control a bit through our are how we guide and how we support the buyer versus trying to control every step of the sales process that they're going through. But anyway, I'm sure we're going to dig into that a lot more. Yeah, well, let's let's start there. So obviously, we have this, your book title is The Revenue Zone. 
So why don't we first sort of, you know, uncover what what that means uh, for all of us? Sure. So, and I think that's what I realized in that meeting, right, is that I didn't have as many prospects in the revenue zone as I wanted to feel like I was comfortable, you know, uh, committing to. So what is the revenue zone? I define the revenue zone as a place where a prospect has, you have created enough demand and built enough trust with a prospect that they are seriously considering spending money with your company or for your product or for your service. Doesn't mean they bought anything yet, but they're at a point where they feel confident enough through the trust that they've built and they're excited enough through the demand that's been created that they want to buy your, or they're seriously considering buying your product and they're seriously, um, you know, they find your business acceptable and confident in doing with them. That's the revenue zone. So obviously then how do you take somebody who you've just, you know, has just become aware of your company or just been aware of your product or service, knows very little about you. How do you move them from that point to the revenue zone? And that's the basic premise of the book. Gotcha. So the revenue zone is really, if we look at that traditional marketing funnel, it's where they're they're ready to make the decision. But the way they get to that decision, what you're saying is obviously very different than it would have been before the internet. Yes. And I've had people say to me, well, the revenue zone, that sounds like an SQL or a you know sales ready lead. And it's like, well, yeah, sort of, I guess, from that perspective, because certainly there's a lot of qualification and there's been demand and things like that. But those terms, SQL and MQL, again, focus on the, the seller. They don't focus on what the buyer has done. And I try and look at this from the viewpoint is how is the buyer ascended into the revenue zone? Not that we, you know, what are we measuring in that? Got you. It's, it's really about the process that's led to that decision. So based on that, I want to talk a little bit or ask you a little bit about LinkedIn, but not the way you might think I will. Okay. It's It's been very interesting over the past few years. There's been this transformation of what people talk about on LinkedIn and who is doing the talking. And even with, you know, Roe versus Wade, no matter what side you, you sit, I, I see all these don't bring politics into LinkedIn. On the other hand, I see just this whole new generation of LinkedIn users. And it really represents the fact that millennials are a majority of our workforce. And I see B2B companies now even engaging in TikTok because they say, hey, these are the future buyers of our products and services. These are the future managers and CEOs that we have to sell to. So, you know, I know that uh, one of the things you wanted to talk about today were the, the rules for effectively marketing and selling to millennials. And you claim that by 2025, millennials will be responsible for the majority of all B2B purchases. So I sort of want to unravel that a little bit because I think that's a really fascinating topic that, that no one is talking about right now. Yeah, and, and you know, there's other studies that are saying that millennials are already responsible for more than half of the B2B purchases. So depending upon how you talk to, it's either already here or it's coming, right? But, and again, what is a millennial? Like, what is the bracket? You know, there's some different things on that. But the fact is, is that there's a younger generation that has grown up on tech and with tech that are make buying decisions and frankly, don't have a lot of tolerance for old school sales techniques, <laughs> right? And you know, if you, if you take that same, I think that came from a Gartner study that you just read. If you look at some of the other Gartner data that's there, you know, upwards of 60, sometimes 70% of millennials that they have interviewed don't want to deal with a sale. They want a sales rep free experience. They don't want to deal with a, with a salesperson. So why is that? Because they don't have a lot of tolerance for the traditional sales mentality of, you know, hard sell, controlling, high pressure, 
you know, 25 phone calls and, you know, all the things that we all kind of think about when we think of sales sometimes. So if millennials, and they are, right, are now in control of the buying process and running the buying process and running businesses, we better adapt to that world or, you know, it's basically adapt or die, right? You know, the money ball reference, right? Adapt or die to the world that we're in and we need to adapt to that. So, and again, I think that's what, again, hit me back in that meeting is I realized that a lot of the companies and the people I were dealing with in my pipeline were not my age, they were millennials and they were, I needed to look at them differently than I've looked at things in the past. So based on all that, how do you recommend the listener engage with this younger audience? It obviously requires different rules of engagement. What, what would those look like? Yeah. So there's, you know, the first thing I tell companies and, and all of this is the first thing you have to do is change your mindset. Kind of, we've touched on this a little bit already. You have to change your mindset to embrace the fact that the millennial or the buyer is in control of their own journey. Number one, you need to embrace the fact that they want to rename, remain anonymous for quite a long period of time. And they don't want to talk to a salesperson until they're ready to talk to a, to a salesperson. You, you have to embrace the fact that you know they don't want to fill in a opt-in form for a piece of content that they're doing as part of their research and then be bombarded with 45 emails and 10 SDR calls, right? So you have to embrace the, and, and it's interesting because you'll ask people like, well, would you want to be sold to the way that you're selling to others? And they're like, no, well, then why are you doing it to, to others? So you have to embrace that mindset of the things that I just talked about. That is easier said than done for a lot of companies because again, same reason I did, you feel like you're losing control. You feel like, oh, well, how am I gonna be in control of the sales cycle? How am I gonna know what my pipeline is? How do I know who's close to closing, right? All the things that we, we care about as, as salespeople. But there are ways of doing that in this new world. So the, the, the three rules that I always say is, okay, if you're gonna change that mindset or you have changed that mindset, then you're inherently looking at what you do in sales and marketing as a guide. You're being more of a guide or a consultant rather than a salesperson. That's one of the first things that you're doing. You're opening up, you're, you're providing content and the resources that you're making, making them easy to access, access, relevant, and maybe even more importantly, laying them out in a way that they're being presented in the right sequence right? Because not all content is relevant at a certain time based around where the person is in the buyer journey. So some content is way more relevant later in the buyer journey, some content super relevant in the beginning. So don't just shotgun the content, think about what content makes sense at what point in the buyer journey and help the buyer go through and get that content in the proper sequence. So that's the third thing. And then by doing that, or the second thing, and then the third thing, by doing that, the rules are then is again, enable the buyer to facilitate their own journey. Don't keep putting up gates. Don't keep putting up things that then, you know, that get you back into control so you can have that phone call or you can have that meeting or whatever the case may be. So there's just some new rules that are part of this that you have to first be willing to accept and work with, and then you can start building the strategies for actually effectively working in those worlds. So what you're proposing is we take a step back, we look at the buyer's journey, we make sure that we facilitate that with content 
and yes. access. Yes. And how then do, knowing, I guess, that we don't have control anyway, how would we manage that? Going back to that revenue pipeline meeting that you had, yeah. how are we going to manage those expectations and the annual budget and what have you, those numbers that as managers and executives we have to commit to, how do we go about talking about those things now in, in this new revenue zone? Well, we have to look at different KPIs, right? So, or, or metrics or analytics. So rather than metrics, you know, how many MQLs do I have? How many phone calls did I make? How many SQLs? Which is the traditional metrics, right? That are there. We have to look at those differently. We have to look at metrics to say, how many people are consuming the content? What content are they consuming? Are they consuming multiple pieces of content in a certain sequence, right? So are they ascending through the process and with our, with our content and with our guidance? Are we getting people reaching out? How many people then have actually reached out for guidance and support for us and wanting to talk to a salesperson because they've already done their research and they're ready to do that? So we have to look at our KPIs differently and again, but we're all going back to that same goal. The same common goal is having people in the revenue zone, right? We wanted people in the revenue zone before. It's not that we, we don't want people in the, or prospects in the revenue zone now. We just have to measure how we're doing that and track how we're doing that differently than our historical models. So you're basically transforming the pipeline into a digital pipeline that's all data-driven. Yeah. And I guess now, you know, I had this epiphany moment listening to what you were saying is that companies need to architect as part of that buyer's journey and access to content, somehow architect something that would prompt someone to want to reach out where the buyer is still in control, yet a natural extension of what they're going through is they actually want to reach out to get, well, I, I don't know if it's access or uh, to understand how uh, you might have worked with similar companies that under NDA you can't talk about publicly. I don't know what it is, but they have to work these strategic things in, and those become very, very strategic KPIs as part of the process. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, and I love the word that you said, architect, right? So I call it the yellow brick road. You have to architect your yellow brick road that starts when somebody first becomes even minutely aware of your product or service and minutely aware of your company. What's the yellow brick road that you want to guide them down to get them to the revenue zone? And I build a, I have a whole system in the book on how you architect that yellow brick road and how you put your pieces together in the right way. And then how do you measure, is your yellow brick road really guiding somebody towards the revenue zone or is it running them off the road, right? And so, yeah, you absolutely have to architect that, put it together, look at those things. And it's not as hard as it sounds because- what we have found in working with companies is if you just take successful, look at, you know, go back to your last 10 successful deals where the customer actually bought your product or service, reverse engineer that, look at what they went through, ask them what they went through, ask them about their journey. You will see, and, and then go back and look at your analytics, look at your, you know, Google analytics, look at some of the information digitally. You will see common denominators for successes, and you will see common denominators for places where they weren't successful. Reverse engineer that, and then just like you would do in marketing, right? Start optimizing, start testing, and you know, building it over time. And it's not something you're just gonna. It's, it's a journey, right? It's an ongoing process, but that's true in anything you know that you're doing with sales and marketing. Indeed, and and I want to talk about the two. I see these two big technology pieces that are necessary to best manage this. Number one, obviously, is a CRM, and I know that you're 
you have a company working on that. I want to get to that at the very end to learn <laughs> okay. more about that. But you also need a tremendous amount of content is what it sounds like. So can you tell me a little bit about companies that are listening and they're thinking, okay, Tom, I get it. I want to re-architect everything. Before we get to the yellow brick road, I need to start building out this library of content for the buyer's journey. Uh, how should companies go about starting to do that or trying to modify what they already have knowing that the buyer is in more control than they might have thought of before. Yeah. So one thing I've learned or we've learned by doing this is that companies usually have more content than they think. Mm. It's just not being used as well as it could be. So part of what I do in the book is I actually have a worksheet. There's a quite a big resource center we've put together with the book that you can go and download and things. And one of the things I built in there was kind of a sophisticated Google Doc that allows you to inventory kind of a framework for inventorying all the, not just the content, but anything that could influence that buyer journey from, you know, to the revenue zone, right? What influencers do you have that, you know, that have a video on their site? What are customer, you know, case studies, whatever the case may be that you have so that you can inventory all of that. And most companies I found have a lot more really relevant and good content than they realize. Then the next step in the yellow brick road is, okay, then what? which of those pieces of content that I already have, should I put in the right sequence, right? Ideally, ideally, what would be the best way to have a prospect consume that content in the right sequence and then model all that out? Now, you will, will likely find holes. You'll, you know, I call them potholes, right? You'll likely find potholes in your road. Okay, fine. You can fill those in, but get started. You know, it doesn't mean you can't start the process, start monitoring the process, with what you already have, even though there may be some big dips and potholes that you need to fill in over time. But then you're now building a content strategy that is based around optimizing your yellow brick road versus kind of a spray and pray strategy, which, well, if I just throw out a bunch of content, hopefully somebody finds it interesting and they want to buy from us. So it, 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 to me, it actually puts a lot more um, streamlining in what you're doing with your, with your content. So it sounds like we have... Well, I guess you could call it sales and marketing alignment or very marketing driven process. What becomes the role of the salesperson? I mean, outward sales as a profession, I think, is in decline. Yes. Inside sales is probably increasing. So do we no longer need outward sales and this becomes just pure inside sales or what's your take? Well, I think, you know, I, I don't know if it's inside or outside. You certainly need sales because the one thing that the role of the salesperson. And I was on a, a podcast a, a few weeks ago and we were talking about the role of SDRs and, and things like that. But whether you're an SDR or an AE or whatever your role is as a, as a salesperson, you're, you're still very valuable. In fact, you're more valuable than ever, but you need to be valuable as a guide and a trusted advisor versus a salesperson. And actually the biggest you know, all of this, you know, buyer or the, you know, prospect wanting to be in control of their own journey, it's in some ways not good for them because there's so many rabbit holes that you can fall into and there's so many areas you can get confused. In fact, that's one of the biggest problems with the buyer being in control of their own journey is confusion and overwhelm and confused and overwhelmed prospects don't become customers for anybody, right? They don't do anything. So you really have a, a job, in my opinion, as, the, as a salesperson to look at yourself as more of a trusted advisor, a consultant, a guide. In fact, I'm gonna, I've been getting a lot of questions on that. Well, how the heck do you do that? Well, I'm gonna actually write a blog post and do some videos on that because there's actually a way to actually transform a bit how you look at things and how you go about that so that you're 
not just like, hey, when can I get the next meeting? Uh, you know, when can we, you know, the more traditional sort of sales pieces. So, you know, SDRs in particular or inside sales, I think also can have a huge role in this, especially as you're introducing companies, right? What's the role of the SDR? If you really think about it is getting them on that yellow brick road. That's what their job is, is to get people started on that yellow brick road. Well, if you do that more effectively, other than, hey, can I have a 15-minute call, which generally doesn't get anybody started on anything, it just gets you pissed off, right? And you actually get them down a certain place, now you can actually get way more, again, your SDR and your inside team's job is to get people on the road, get them moving on the road, and then the AEs or the other people can help facilitate them getting down the road. So we could probably talk all afternoon about that, but there's quite a bit that can go on there. And listening to you talk about that, Tom, I reflect upon, you know, we at the Schaefer household, we lease cars. We don't okay. buy cars because life is short and it's Southern California and the cars becomes an important part of your life. So every three years we're changing cars, giving me the ability every three years to see how the buyer's journey of purchasing or leasing a car and then dealing with salespeople goes. And it's been really interesting, Tom. I think that there are more and more salespeople that they don't have a sales title Maybe they have a title like finance or lease manager, what have you, but I'm just here to help, you know, answer any questions you might have, make sure you have all the resources you need to make the best decision. And they have a very, very comfortable hands-off approach. And there's still some really cutthroat salespeople out there. But I think part of this, Tom, is that the sales management need to read your book because the salesperson is only going to act upon what they're supposed to do, what those KPIs that their management's looking Absolutely. at. Absolutely. And if they, don't, if they don't evolve into this, then right. you know a salesperson alone is not going to be able to implement this in their company. It'll be hard. I mean, you can you you can certainly implement parts of it as a salesperson, as an individual, you know, contributor, so to speak. But yeah, you, if you're fighting against the fact that you're being measured by KPIs that are completely 180 degrees opposite from what we're talking in here, that makes it a tough tough journey. You know, it's interesting you mentioned car. In chapter two, I have a whole example of a, a good way and a buy what bad way to go through a car buying experience. And exactly what you said, right? And there are, I have gone through recently a really amazing car buying experience. And the example I use in the book was an amazing car buying experience, which, you know, people would be like, oh my gosh, if the, if the car, if the auto industry is doing this, but that's how they're, they have to be, you know, especially in a, in a competitive world. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be hard, much harder to do. And really the stakeholders you need to have involved in really implementing the revenue zone. And I talk about this is really your full revenue team, your your marketing group, your sales, you know, if you have rev ops or sales ops or people like that, or even if you're a tech company and you got client success and you know things like that, all of them really need to, they're they're all the customer focused, customer focused people they need to understand and align with how customers and prospects want to buy. And I agree, it's not going to happen overnight. I'm not expecting people to change overnight. I, I look at this as a bit of an ongoing project, but I also think it's going to accelerate faster because the old way is not working. And if you look on LinkedIn, well, you know, you post a lot on LinkedIn, right? Look at where all the emotion is on LinkedIn. The emotion from people is this crappy sales process, this you know, the way that we're pissing off prospects, right? There is a lot of emotion and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are care about that. So when that starts to happen, we'll start to see change. And I think, you know, we as, as buyers and as people just feel a lot more empowered. And, and I actually had a very, very negative experience at a car dealership recently that um, is in a nice part of Los Angeles that spends a lot of money on their branding. 
And it was such a negative experience. And for the first time, I'm actually extending my lease past 36 months, right? I'm eating my words. But, you know, I, I you know, afterwards, I get all these bots like, hey, you know, how was the meeting? Can we help you get into a car? And I just said, I, I just let them have it. That was one of the worst experiences. I will never do business with you. And I didn't go on a social media and go that far and talk about it as well. But I can imagine that there's going to be more and more people that feel empowered to actually talk. So I think that a lot of people miss out that there are other decisions. There are other companies people can work with that you don't have a monopoly on any given That's industry. Right. And once you piss someone off, once you break that, 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 you know, once the bridge is down, they're never coming back. And they may influence other people. Just as influence influence people in a positive way, they can also influence right. people in a negative way. So I think that's something that also bears reminding to, to our listeners. Now, there's a huge competitive advantage if you're doing it the right way, right? And we're seeing that actually. I mean, that isn't just my opinion. I'm see, we're seeing that with some of the companies that we have been working with that are doing more of the revenue zone approach. It's a huge competitive advantage. And in a, in a lot of cases that when done right, it eliminates your competition or pushes it aside because your competition is not doing it this way, right? So it's like, well, wait a minute. Do I want to deal with the car dealer that gave me that awful experience? Or do I want to deal with a car dealer that aligns with how I want to buy a car? You know, it's like, even if they have a better price at the other one, you're probably going to go with the one where you had the better experience. And Tom, we could even go further with retention and loyalty. I just want to give a shout out. I'm a, I'm, and I know this, I don't, well, this might be a competitor of yours, but anyway, uh, my listeners know that I use ConvertKit from email marketing. Every okay. three months, I get an email from the customer success manager who's not waiting for me to bring up a problem, just saying, hey, if you ever, you know, it, it just doing a 90-day check-in, here's my calendar link if you want to schedule a call. If you have any questions or you, you want to know our latest features, let me know, right? It's that um, I'm still in control, but I feel welcome as a customer that someone is there is, is and, and she never fails to contact me quarter after quarter, which is a perfect cadence for me. So I think that we can extend this conversation to as well. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm just thinking about my listeners. So if the marketers that are listening here, it's really, obviously we we should be doubling down on content, but it's thinking of content and, and they should be thinking about content as part of the buyer's journey, but it's really doubling down on that realigning understanding um, you know, the sales process better, the buyer's journey better, digging into their IP and making sure that the content they have is best aligned. So I think that for them listening, this is a very natural extension of the job they should be doing. Uh, for the salespeople, they should be you know, recommending their bosses read your book, um, okay. uh, but also uh, you know, other things as well. I'm just thinking for the small business owner slash entrepreneur that doesn't have a big staff, what should the message be for them I suppose instead of thinking about hiring that salesperson, think first about the content or what, what would you propose to them? Yeah, I think that there, I think that this is actually a huge advantage for a small business and or for a smaller, you know, even a solopreneur or a smaller business. So yeah, I did, you know, again, the mindset, right? Take a look at the mindset and the philosophy that's being introduced in the book and really take a look at, okay, how do I use that with my customer? And right, you know, and if and rather than trying to build, you know, super sophisticated direct response sales funnels, you know, that require, you know, that frankly, right, still piss you off in a lot of cases, right? Is how do you actually accomplish what that same objective is by using more of the revenue zone philosophy and enabling that buyer to become create demand and build trust with you and what you're doing? So um, again, it doesn't require, you know, I've seen revenue zone or yellow brick roads created with five, six pieces of content. Hmm. Others may require, you know, you, you might need 25 
right? It depends upon what you're selling. It depends upon your buyer. It depends upon, is it a, a team that's buying? Is it an individual? There's a lot of variables that go into it, but it doesn't have to be a super sophisticated thing. It could be four or five, six pieces of, of you know, bricks as I call them, right? And it's not just content, but it could be other bricks along the way that end up getting your uh, prospect into that revenue zone. Awesome. Awesome advice. Thank you, sir. So we're getting near the end of our conversation. You've given us a lot, a heck of a lot to think about even before reading your book. Hopefully everyone listening will go out and buy a copy of The Revenue Zone by Tom Burton. Um, I want to ask you, you know, uh, before I normally ask, hey, where can people, you know, find out more about you, what have you, you mentioned that you're you're building a CRM and, and uh, my listeners know that I love technology. I love to talk about all the great uh, tools that are out there. So can you can you talk a little bit about, so is this like a, a Salesforce killer that you're be, building or how would you best describe it? So we actually have a partnership with Salesforce. Okay. And we have a unique arrangement with them where we actually get to develop on top of their platform. So it's not like companies have to buy anything from Salesforce, they buy from us, but we've been able to use their cloud platform to build our CRM around because they have an amazing cloud platform, all the security, all the everything that you don't you know, want to have to worry about. And what we've done, there's a couple of things that we've done and are working towards is, and, and we can probably get into, you know, we could have a whole separate conversation about, you know, third-party data, first-party data, zero-party data, all the different data that is out there. But how do you take, you know, CRMs historically been, they've had two flaws in my opinion, and we're trying to solve both of those flaws. One is, is, you know, they've been used to track activity or to track contacts and then use predominantly like as a sales manager, well, how many calls did you make? And all of that stuff, right? It's, you know, people say it's been used as big brother. It hasn't been used to help a salesperson or a marketing person have more insights so that they can better support and communicate to their prospect and to, or to their customer, you know, whatever the case may be. So we have customers that um, that use our product LeadSmart that are distributors and they sell tons of different product lines. You know, they may sell hundreds of different product lines. They want to know how they can look at their, with their customers and decide, hey, you know what? We've been selling 10 product lines to them, but they could really use the other 90 product lines that we use. We had no idea we were only selling 10 to them. How the, can the salesperson now leverage and use that data to make a good decision, build a meeting plan, decide who they're going to go talk to, what they're going to bring up? all of those types of things. So it's enabling, right? A salesperson and a sales organization and a marketing organization to use data to be more effective. So we do a lot of things with data. Again, we could talk a lot about that going forward. The second part of the equation, CRMs have historically not been adopted well. And the reason they don't get adopted well is because they're super hard to use. You know, companies try and roll out, you know, I call it a big bang, Here's a million things you're supposed to learn how to do in the CRM. It's overwhelming. So we've re-architected what we're doing with the CR with our CRM, much like you would do with your phone. It's an app-based piece. So if you want an app for you know, upselling to customers, you can download and install that app and use that app. If you want an app for dealing more with leads and prospects, you can download and use that app. If you want an app that's you know, potentially helping you understand where your marketing investment's going and looking at attribution and things like that, you can download that app. And then different customers can use different apps and it becomes a much more crawl, walk, run approach to adoption. And we're finding that the adoption and the, and the speed of which they can get up and running, right? The speed of, of implementation and the speed of adoption is, is 
much, much higher. So we're trying to really solve the two, the two big issues that have kind of made CRM a four-letter word in the past. Indeed. That, that sounds really exciting. And what, I'm sorry, what is the name of your tool again? Lead Smart. Lead Smart Technologies is the, is the company. Yeah. Gotcha. So how, I assume then in terms of email marketing, you basically tie into other email marketing. We do. Okay. We do. Gotcha. We do. Yes. So in fact, we have, yeah, if they're using HubSpot or, or ConvertKit or, or, you know, ActiveCampaign or Pardot, whatever they may be using, right? A lot of times there is data that you want to take from that and feed into your CRM so that your sales team has some insights into who's engaging, who's, you know, doing certain things. And so all of that is part of that data sort of uh, flow that we want to be able to then take and organize in a way that a sales team can use it for driving more sales rather than just tracking activity. Gotcha. So by, you know, I know we're at the end here, sure. but when you describe lead smart, it still sounds a lot like that old sales management world where the, where we're still trying to stay in control. How is lead smart adapting to this new world that we talked about here? Well, as I said earlier, right, we have to, we have to control the process differently. And we have to control that process by understanding where the buyer is in their journey and then helping them and facilitating them based around where they are in that journey. So I look at, you know, Lead Smart and the CRM as that sort of guide or helping you, that guide is that map that's helping you provide that data so that you can provide the right information at the right time. Because again, you're allowing the buyer to control their own journey but you're using data and insights to interject at the right time. Like you gave the example earlier, my guess is if you didn't log in to ConvertKit for a month, you might get some on their end calling and saying, hey, Neil, I'm just calling to see, is everything okay? Or you know, is there anything we can help you with? Because data told them that you've been inactive for, for a month. Or you know, and That's just an example, right? But it's through that buyer journey, we want to see if, as much as possible how we can help them. So no, we're not trying to use it as that, you know, old school sort of sales. How many, you know, leads or how many calls do you make? That kind of stuff. So you're really, you're really putting the R back in the CRM, the relationship, right? Well stated, well stated. And the C, really focusing on the customer and the prospect. Very cool, Tom. So we know we should check out Lead Smart. We can go to Amazon, check out the Revenue Zone. Any other place in social media you want to send our listeners to, to uh, connect with you? Yeah, so the, the book, you can get it on Amazon, but there's a web, we have a website called uh, the, therevenuezone.com. Um, that's also where the resource center is. I mentioned there's a bunch of resources that you get free access to cool. without having to put in an email address either. So we've, um, you know, so that you can access it and use the different tools that are, that are there. It also has links to Amazon. LeadSmart is leadsmarttech.com. And I'd love to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. My uh, LinkedIn is tburton5350. Um, Tom Burton, but T Burton 5350 is my ID. So feel free to connect, reach out. And, um, you know, we're definitely looking for, I'd love to talk to people that have a passion about this and, and are trying to kind of change this as well. So it's really, really great. Yeah. I've, I've met a lot of innovative salespeople that definitely think along the lines, of what you're talking about. So I'm hoping that for those listening to this podcast, we'll reach out, but Tom, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of your experience and wisdom with us. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, Neil. Man, wasn't that a fantastic interview? We really hit upon a lot of different subjects, but I hope that it makes you look at digital content influencer, social media marketing a little bit differently than you did 
before you began listening to this episode. And that's really my goal for each and every one of these episodes. If there is something you would like me to cover that I haven't covered before, or if there's a special guest that you'd like to recommend, feel free to reach out to me. Go over to my website, neilshafer.com slash contact. And while you're there, check out all the free ebook resources that I have. It's under the tab called freebies or neilshafer.com slash freebies. I have free ebooks on LinkedIn, influencer marketing, email marketing, guest blogging, and a number of other things. So definitely check that out. And well, until next time, this is your digital marketing coach signing off and reminding you to always keep your eyes on the goal. You've been listening to your digital marketing coach. Questions, comments, requests, links, go to podcast.neilshafer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes and neilshafer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community. If you or your business needs a little helping hand, see you next time on your digital marketing coach.